Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Father, we come to you again with great delight to be able to open your word and to dig and search out and look for the nuggets of wisdom that we might live according to your will and according to your purpose. Thank you for this divine apocalypsis, this revelation, the unveiling of the final times of this earth. And God, may we be changed today. More into the likeness of Christ and may our priorities and our objectives and our goals in life be brought into line with the truth of these scriptures. And Holy Spirit, I cry out to you again myself and ask that you would fill my mouth that I might properly teach and feed your flock. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll recall from our discussion the last time we were talking about Revelation chapter 12 that we were looking at this incredible warfare that's taking place, the Bible says, in the heavenly realm. We had three different people identified for us. We had the woman, who we know to be Israel. We had the male child, who was identified as the Messiah, the Son of God. And we had the great dragon, who the scripture identifies in verse 10 as Satan himself. Now, as we discussed, there's there's a war and a battle going on. and, And as I shared with you the last time we spoke about Revelation, Satan has promulgated and promoted this lie that he himself is God's opposite. Now, we know it's not true. Satan is not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, and he's not omnipresent. He is a created being. He's a very exalted created being, but he is nonetheless a created being. The war is really between Michael and the angels and Satan and his hordes. It's not between God and Satan. Not yet, anyway. Satan is a defeated foe. Even now, he stands defeated, and yet we see him for a little while longer in the final languishing moments attempting to distort and destroy God's purposes for your life and for the world and for the Christian community. But the fact is is that the Bible says that he is a defeated foe and as I said, for a period of time until the end times, he has the power to tempt you 
to cooperate with his destructive plan for your life and to destroy the work of God. But the good news is, is in spite of his temptation, in spite of his raging, in spite of his anger and his pursuit of the woman's offspring, who we'll talk about in a few minutes, but I'll give you a clue right now, it's you. In spite of that, God can help you be victorious over the enemy. Every single time. Not part of the time, not some of the time, but every single time, if you will apply the principles of God's Word and trust in Christ, you can defeat the enemy every single time. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, we've been told in verse... Nine, that the great dragon has been hurled down to the earth. And this is a great victory for heaven. And as we're going to find out in a few minutes, it's not too good for the earth. But for heaven, it's a wonderful time of relief from his constant defiance. And he's hurled down. And right at that point, John describes what he heard next in verse 10. If you look with me in the passage, he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation, of, uh, uh, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God, and the authority of his Christ. So there are four things that occurred immediately when Satan was hurled down to the earth. We're told that the first is the salvation of our God. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, how can the salvation of God occur then? I thought we're experiencing salvation now. Well, the Bible teaches that we not only are saved as believers, but we are being saved as believers and we will be saved as believers. There's a process to it. We're completely saved now, but in the process of our growth with Christ, He is redeeming us. And then there is going to come a final day of which this describes when God will overcome all and you will be finally saved in terms of the kingdom of God. You will be forever redeemed and the final stages and process of your salvation and the coming of that final day will finish and we will be in His presence forever. First Peter tells us in chapter 1 that, that God is keeping in heaven your inheritance. He's watching over it. He's guarding it and protecting it. The Bible says, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time. And so this salvation that now is revealed, that John is talking about, is the culmination of God's redemptive work in the world. It's going to be a glorious time. Now John also says that as a result of Satan being hurled down, that now have come the power of God. The word is dunamis. It means explosive force or miraculous power. A lot of times people just think in terms of of God's ability to do amazing things, but you know where the real power of God rests? You know what the scripture says? If you look up power of God in your Bibles or your concordance, the gospel. The gospel itself is the power of God. We're told in Romans 1.16 when Paul makes this declaration, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We're also told in 1 Corinthians by Paul that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Bible and the gospel have power. I don't know how God does it. I can't explain it in, a, in any way that a, a person could understand except to say the Bible and the Word of God and your testimony and your proclamation of the Gospel has power to change and power to redeem. 
And that power will be unleashed in its full force in these final days. John also says that now have come the kingdom of our God. The kingdom of God is not just for heaven. It's not just going to take place in eternity. The kingdom of God is wherever God is ruling and reigning. It's wherever He is reigning and sovereignly overseeing anybody's life or anything. So the reign and rule of the kingdom of God will be in heaven, but right now, you want to hear something remarkable? This is just about as remarkable as God taking up residence in the heart of a man or a woman through His Holy Spirit. But if you are walking with God and you're obedient to your Heavenly Father and you're living for His purposes and doing His will, you are the kingdom of God. You are a part of the realm and rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And you, by yourself and and all of us together corporately, are a part of the new kingdom. We are the kingdom of God. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God. Remarkable. Too lofty for people like us. And yet God has lifted us and made us to be what we couldn't be on our own. Sons and daughters. Brother and friend of Jesus. Who can imagine such things? And yet God tells us that for those who call on His name, that He has given us not only the privilege, but the right to be called by His name. John also says that Satan having been hurled down, that now we see the authority of Christ demonstrated. Now, it's interesting, the authority of Christ, if you look through Scripture, is progressive. He is completely authoritative. He created everything. He is God and ruler of the universe. And yet, the actual delegation of this authority back to the Son, as we've talked about, this deed that's been given to Him to open, the Lamb of God, is somewhat progressive. We find after His death and resurrection that Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now I'm going to give some of it to you. And I want you to go out in my name and I want you to preach the gospel. And I want you to disciple men and women and I want you to teach them everything I've taught you. And I want you to baptize them and I want you to teach them how to walk after me. And so Christ was given authority and he in turn gave it to the church. And he still has authority but not the fullness of the authority that he will one day have when the final stages of of humanity and, and our existence come to closure and he will finally reign supreme over all and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus alone, no other name, is God. That day is coming, but it's not yet. Remember, these are things that are to be revealed that we might know, but they have not yet occurred, but they will occur. Now, we're told the reason that these things have come, the salvation, the power, the kingdom, and the authority of Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. This is Satan's primary activity right now is to be before the throne of God accusing the body of Christ and accusing individual believers. And right now, 
and tomorrow and the next day and the next week, Satan will be before the throne of God and his objective is to come before God with the truth about you. He's going to come forward and he's going to say, God, what about Bob? He thinks he's a servant of yours. Did you see what he did this week? How can you even have someone like him serving you? Or put your own name in. He's constantly before the throne of God accusing the body of Christ. Now, we're told of some very interesting encounters that Satan had before God. One of them is recorded for us in Job chapter 1. Most of us are familiar with that encounter. If you're not, you need to read it. It's, it's amazing. But you also have to read the very last chapter to see the deliverance of God. But there's a lesser known passage in Zechariah chapter 3 where we have another encounter with Satan going before God and accusing. And this is what he does. We find in Scripture that he is always fighting God's will and purposes. He's constantly resisting the work of the Spirit. He's always accusing believers of their failures and their sin. And he's always exalting himself above others. By the way, to the extent that we ever give ourselves to these activities, we are cooperating and contributing to the work of Satan. If we ever find ourselves resisting the work of God, we're contributing to the work of Satan. If we ever find ourselves accusing the brethren, gossiping, slandering, putting down, being critical, these things are contributions to the work of Satan himself. Or if we find ourselves puffed up and exalting ourselves above others and not getting down low and being the servant of all, then we are contributing to the work of the enemy. But I have to say that and I've shared this with you before, but I don't think I've ever been a part of a body that's more wonderful and loving and devoted to the purposes of God. But even for those who are as devoted as you are and as in love with Jesus as you are, there's a, a warning that's necessary, to, a reminder that you might live only for Him and for His purposes and not be tempted to become a partner with the enemy's work. Now, in contrast to these accusations that the enemy is leveling, and frankly, many of them are correct. Satan has enough in his arsenal in my life to be able to go before God. He doesn't need to make stuff up. Now, maybe he does make stuff up, but probably not. He probably just goes before God with slander and accusations and truth about some of the things that I've done or thought. But, according to Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he says, Who will bring a charge against God's chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And as I mentioned several weeks ago, Satan is coming before the throne and he's saying, what about this? What about that? And Jesus comes in and he says, paid. And well, Satan says, well, what about this? And Jesus says, paid. Satan comes again, paid, comes again, paid, paid, paid. It's all paid. And your sins are all paid for. From the beginning to the end, you are clean before God. You have been delivered. Your guilt is removed. And you are free to follow Jesus Christ with a whole heart, without guilt. Because Jesus has paid your price. The Bible tells us as we look through this passage that he's been hurled down 
And we see an interesting parallel that I want to touch on briefly. It's in Luke chapter 10. I'll tell you a little bit about the story. Jesus had been doing ministry for a number of years already. He'd been training his disciples. And after a period of time, God and his spirit led Jesus to send out these disciples. And he sent out 72 disciples in pairs to go and to heal and to proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom that you're experiencing. The kingdom that you are. So these disciples go out and I'm sure with some sense of fear and trepidation but also total dependence on God and the knowledge that Jesus would be with them and that the Spirit would be with them. And they go out and they minister and lo and behold what Jesus said would happen happened. Men and women actually were healed. And men and women heard the gospel of the kingdom of God and began to enter in. And they came back just glowing. They were so ecstatic about what God had done and what they had experienced and witnessed and the power that God had given them. And they came back and reported to Jesus. And you remember what Jesus' words were? Listen to them in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus' response to all of this was, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. It was a precursor to this final day when he would be hurled down to earth. I want to apply this to our own lives and I want to share something that I think is remarkable. These 72 disciples go out in the name of Jesus and they do his will in obedience to the call of Christ. They bring physical and spiritual benefit and relief and healing to the people that they ministered to. And by doing so, they were actually contributing to the hurling down of Satan and his purposes. Do you realize what this means? This means that if you are an obedient believer, and if you will respond to the call of God to be an agent of God's grace and mercy, an ambassador for Christ, and you're willing to stand up for the gospel and to do the will of God, that you can be an agent in participating in the hurling down of Satan. He will fall like lightning every time that you obey God. Every time that you give yourself to the purpose of God, Satan will once again, in a progressive fashion, be hurled down and his purposes will be thwarted. That is an incredible thing. I mean, I spent years as a believer thinking that Satan, I was afraid of him. I really was. I thought Satan had so much power that it was just a, a hair's breadth between me and you know, him coming in my house and destroying my family or my life or whatever. But I was wrong. I didn't know the scriptures well enough. I was a new believer. But the Bible tells us that not only do we have authority, but the Bible says that we can be a part of seeing him fall like lightning as we obey him, as we obey the Father, as we obey the Holy Spirit. You have incredible power in your life. But it's all Christ. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with your aura or the sign of your birth or any of that garbage. What it has to do with, if Christ is living in you and you will walk in obedience to the Father and the Spirit, you have a power to be a participant and an agent in the hurling down of Satan and his purposes. Now, how do these believers overcome the accuser? We're told in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. There are three things here that John mentions. The first is that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've uh, heard and read books and seen people speak and I've listened to radio programs where 
Godly people, and I'm not denigrating anyone, but believe that the way to overcome the enemy is to give him an inordinate amount of attention. I've talked about this before, and it's kind of fading a little bit, but spiritual mapping, some of you may know of this and some of you may not, but it's where people feel that in order to overcome the enemy, for instance, if we wanted to overcome the work of Satan on this island, that we would need to do a a demographic study, not of the population, but of the history of Satan's work on this island. And we would, be, we would have to name the names of Satan. We would need to go before the Spirit of God and find out what his actual names are on this island. And then we would need to, to, to pray and, and come against these specific names. And we would need to work diligently to overcome the enemy in these specific areas with these specific powers and these specific formula prayers. And I disagree with that. Not only because the rest of Scripture doesn't teach it, but because this passage doesn't teach it. We always stay with what the Word of God says. I don't care what fancy formula a man comes up with. I don't care what, how good it sounds. If it doesn't agree with this, we do not practice it. This is the rule and order for our lives as believers. And it has the answer for every need, every problem, and every difficulty that we face, including how to overcome the enemy. So we don't overcome him by incantations or formulas or some superstitious process. But we overcome in the same way that these believers will overcome. By the blood of the Lamb. Do you realize how powerful the blood of Christ is? It washes away your sins. It makes you reconciled with the Father. It makes you a son or daughter of God. You see, these people aren't clinging to their good works. It doesn't say anything about overcoming them because they were perfect or overcoming them because they were stronger than than the other lightweight Christians in the community or in their church. It doesn't say they overcame him because they didn't do certain things or they did other certain things. It says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. The greatest temptation that we face as Christians is to gravitate toward a belief that our works make us right before God. We know that we're saved by faith. And yet, many times we find ourselves behaving as if we're saved by good works. Isn't that true? We find ourselves struggling. We feel close to God when we're doing all the right things. But as soon as we fall, oh, we're lousy Christians. We're far from God. God doesn't love us anymore. How could He put up with a wretch like me? That's a works-based relationship. The Bible says simply that the blood of Jesus Christ is our deliverance. You are saved and right and loved and pure before God simply because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you to Himself and to His Father. And whatever good works that He calls you to do are to be an overflow expression of your just love and obedience to Him, not the basis of your salvation. And these Testament saints, New Testament saints who will be suffering and coming to Christ during these final days will get it right. And they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. They will also overcome, the scripture says, by the word of their testimony. It's amazing how powerful your testimony is. Not just your personal testimony, but your testimony about Jesus Christ. Satan hates it when you speak the name Jesus. He deplores it when you open your mouth and begin to share the new freedom that you have in Christ and that you've been washed of sin and you are right before God and loved by God 
even if you're not perfect in this life and that God has a plan for your life and that God has a mission for you and he's got something significant waiting for you in the kingdom to come an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you and as you deliver that message Satan falls like lightning and these New Testament saints during this very difficult period of time will overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now what is that testimony? Well, we're told that the testimony has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these many believers have suffered over the years and many more will suffer and and it's very possible that some of us will suffer, possibly even be martyred in the years to come for this testimony. But it's the testimony of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how did they manage this? How were they able to pull this off, to stay so focused on the blood of Christ and on the testimony and not shrink back? Well, we're told in verse 11, the reason that they were able to do it is that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This word love is agape. It's a passionate commitment. It's a devotion that really, the Bible says, is to be reserved only for God. But many men and women, and I'm afraid at times even believers, and I would have to confess in my own life, my own life, I have loved myself more than God. I have been devoted to myself. Devoted to my plans and my needs and my desires. But God says that my devotion and your devotion is to be reserved for no other except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. He is the only one that's worthy of that devotion. And if there isn't that devotion in my life, then I will not be able to stand against the accuser. I will not be able to overcome in the manner that God wants me to. But as I count my life as nothing, and as I give myself fully to the purposes of God, the Bible says that I will be able to overcome because it will and possibly can come down to a choice between life and death. Now sometimes for us, it's enough for us to just be dying on the inside when somebody rolls their eyes at our testimony or makes fun of us because we go to church. But these believers were willing to give everything up for the name of Christ. That's a challenging message for me, and I I imagine it is for you too. They were willing to give up their reputation. They were willing to give up their status, their possessions, and even life itself. There's a wonderful book that some of you are familiar with called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It details scores and scores of men and women, historical figures, all the way from the New Testament times all the way to current day, who have laid down their lives, men and women, as Hebrews 11 says, the world is not worthy of, who gave up everything for the kingdom of God. And you know that our Christianity in this culture and in our times is so weak and watered down. Do you know what Jesus himself said about what it means to follow Christ? He said, if you aren't willing to give up mother and father and brother and sister and home and whatever you want to fill in, you are not worthy to be my disciple. If you are not willing to give up even your own life, you're not worthy to follow me. 
And now I find in myself and I see in the church at times such a, a lukewarmness in the fellowships in the churches across the United States. Such compromise. Such a willingness to know full well that we're going in the wrong direction and we're doing things that dishonor God and say, well, I'll ask forgiveness later. But Jesus himself said that if you want to truly be a man of God, if you truly want to be a a woman of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, he laid it out for us. He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself every single day. You must pick up your cross, which is an instrument of, of crucifixion, and you must follow me. No matter what, we must follow God. And I'm telling you, the time is short. I exhort you. I beg you. Make your life count. Don't live a compromising Christian life. But give yourself completely to the things that last and have eternal value. Because not only will you overcome the accuser, but you will be a part of expanding the kingdom and rescuing the lost. And God will use you and you will become a mighty man or a mighty woman of God in the kingdom that's to come. Paul said that he considered his life worth nothing. Worth nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Oh, you know, as I read that, it's like I want that in my own life. You know, I want to be so sold out that there's nothing that vies for my affections. I don't want to be compromised. I don't want to be giving to anything else except Jesus Christ. I want to have that same heart and attitude that Paul had that my life matters nothing. It's, it's, it's pointless. It's meaningless to me in comparison with fulfilling the calling of God in my life. And that is not just for me, but that's for every man and woman who calls on His name. That's for you. That you would be a man or a woman that your life is, has little value in comparison with fulfilling and finishing and completing that race that God has called you to. And He tells us what that task is. The completion and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is his mission. And that continues to be the mission of the church. Now there's a a twin warning and rejoicing that takes place next in verse 12. When John says rejoice, everybody that's in in heaven because Satan's been cast out. I mean when he leaves, everyone's going to go glad that guy's out of here. It's going to be a great relief to the kingdom of God and to the angels and everyone else who are probably, I'm sure, just irritated with him. And yet God, up until that point, will allow him to have access even to his own throne. But the world is going to experience a desperate woe because not only will Satan be cast down and isolated to one province and one area of of the universe to destroy and to, to vent his fury on, but it's going to be on the earth and it's going to be even worse than it was in heaven. And it will be in these last three and a half years of the tribulation that we've spoken of. And John says, Woe to you, to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of um, Mike Tyson and his bout with Evander Holyfield. Do you remember that? Everybody thought Evander was just going to get his clock cleaned. All of the bets and everything were for Tyson, even though nobody really likes him. He's kind of the bad boy of boxing. 
But the fact is, is that, uh, as we know, that in the first few rounds, it became very evident that Evander was given, taking this guy to the woodshed, and he was cleaning his clock. And in desperation, knowing he was losing, he, he became furious and frustrated and did something totally irrational and bit Evander's ear off. I mean, it was just disgusting, and nobody could believe it. But I think in a very small way, we may have a picture of what Satan is going to be like when he's cast down, when he's thrown down to earth. He's going to be furious and irrational, and he's going to do everything in his power to destroy those who call on the name of God. Now, in spite of this, he's going to fail. And I've got to go through this quickly, but it's so good. Verse 13. Having been cast down... The dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth and he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half years, out of the serpent's reach. And so we find this dragon now hurled to earth trying to pursue the woman who we know is Israel and pursuing her for the simple reason that she gave birth to this child who is the Messiah. You have to understand, again, I don't think I'm sharing anything that's new for you, but the Messiah was the key of the victory of God over the enemy. It was prophesied in in the first few chapters of Genesis. But in spite of Satan's efforts to destroy the woman, now she sprouts wings and she flies away. I mean, he must just be livid at this point. Now we know in scripture that it, she probably didn't really sprout wings, but it's, a, it's a words that are used, a metaphor, imagery to describe God's protection. We find this frequently in scripture in Exodus chapter 19. We find uh, the people of Israel being described as those who are carried away on eagle's wings by God and delivered. It's really talking about deliverance. And Psalm 55 goes on with this imagery when the psalmist says, oh, He's struggling. Oh, that I had wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest and I would flee far away and stay in the desert. And so the woman is not sprouting wings, but God is saying he's going to deliver her. He is going to help her escape from the fury of this beast. And he's going to take her to a desert place, which I believe will probably be the city of Petra. And again, I've spoken about that, so I won't belabor that. But it's a... um, a city in, in Jordan, in, 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 uh, just south of the Dead Sea. And uh, it was a place that was populated, especially in the first few centuries, by Christians who were escaping the persecution of the early church. And she's going to be cared, there, uh, cared for there for three and a half years. And, oh, I wish I could tell you about the care of God. I wish I could tell you about the deliverance of God. And Elijah is a good example of how God cared for and delivered and helped and he can do that and I want to tell you something as a personal application is that no matter what Satan hurls your direction no matter what fury he tries to unleash on your life God can help you have eagle's wings and God can deliver you and God can provide for you in a secret place and give you everything you need if you'll put your trust completely in him And so this woman is delivered out of the serpent's reach. And as a result, the serpent is just furious. And the scripture says in verse 15 that he spews water out of his mouth like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. Now, 
there's been a, a lot of speculation about what this river is. Some people believe it's a, a, an invading army. It's, a, it's just a human river of invasion. And that's very possible. But I don't see any reason, especially if it is the ancient city of Petra, to believe that it's anything but a, a river of water. If you are familiar with Petra, it, it's a very narrow gorge entry. In fact, it's some, in some places it's only a, a six or eight feet wide and it goes up to 300 feet tall and it's just sometimes you, as you look up you can't even see the sky because this gorge is so narrow. And I'm thinking to myself, if, and it opens up after uh, uh, several hundred yards of hiking in, it opens up into this huge area where uh, up to 60,000 people lived during the first century church. And I'm thinking to myself, if I were Satan and I had all these people bottled up in this, in this cavern, in, the, in this, this big valley, and there was only one way in and one way out, and I could just flood that place, I'd kill every single one of them. And so I believe that it's quite possible this is a literal flood that Satan will bring. And he is going to spew it out of his mouth and it is going to rush like a torrent toward the people of God in his attempt to destroy the work of God. But he'll be thwarted. Psalm 124 says that if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, and I would say let the people of God say as well, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us and the torrent would have swept over us and the raging waters would have swept us away. But... In another miraculous demonstration of the power of God, we find out what God is able to do. Verse 16, But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. I mean, can you believe it? It's like if I were Satan, I mean, it's like what trick doesn't God have in his bag to rescue his people? What length won't he go to to deliver you? And so God delivers his people and it's not the first time that we find the earth actually cooperating with the purposes of God. We're told in scripture in, in uh, the Old Testament, Korah's rebellion, that uh, in Numbers chapter 16, 250 leaders, these weren't just like you know, regular guys in the, in, the, in the mass, but these were leaders within the people of Israel and they came against Moses and said basically, who are you to be leading? We're just as good as you are, we're just as important and we're just as close to God. And so Moses, being the most humble man on earth, says, you know, well, gee, if that's the case, um, I'm happy to turn this over to you. Let's go before God in the morning and we'll see what he says. So he comes before God and they come before God. And, and as they're speaking, to give this story, uh, keep this story, story condensed, as he's speaking, the earth opens up right in front of the whole assembly and Korah and all his men go right down to the earth and the earth closes right back up. Now, don't you wish that God would judge that quickly, you know, when somebody wrongs you at times? I mean, I, but, you know, that's how God judged. And so we find the earth cooperating and assisting God in obedience to the command of God in his purposes. And then we find in the final days that once again the earth will cooperate again with the Lord's purposes. And it will swallow up. I don't know how, but there will be a, a, an earthquake or a, an opening of the earth and all of that river will just go right down into the earth and be consumed without even touching the people of God. You know, I've been really moved this week by a number of things, the death of a number of people, by some counseling I've done, and I want to share something with you that I'm really concerned about. I know that Satan, although we're looking at the end times here, 
has a plan for your life and it's to sweep you away. He wants to sweep you away with a torrent. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to strip you of your power to overcome and get you distracted away from Jesus Christ and cause you to turn and to become, you know, infatuated with the things of this world. He wants to take you out. We have a specific problem on this island that is sweeping people away and it's drugs. There are some of you who struggle with drugs right here in this fellowship. There are some of you who struggle with alcohol. Some of you have been struggling with these addictions for years and you've compromised. And Satan is attempting to sweep you and your family away. And I'm begging you, in Jesus' name, to turn from those things that will be capable of sweeping you away. The church should be free and your life should be free of anything that would vie for the affection of your heart. You should not be enslaved to anyone or anything save Jesus Christ. Please. Turn from sin. Turn from anything that would dishonor the name of Jesus. And don't allow Satan to sweep you away. I'm convinced that many people on this island are are one overdose, one too many pill, one too many drinks, one too many hits away from death. And I don't want any of you to be cut short in the purposes, the divine and eternal purposes that God has prepared for you. I want you to have every reward every part of the inheritance of Christ, every blessing that God has planned for your life. But for that to happen, we have to be a people who turn away from sin. We have to turn from anything that the world even, that even smacks of the world, that even gives the world the impression that, that we're maybe compromised Christians. Please, live for Jesus. Live for Him alone. It's the only thing that will last. And as you do, you will be protected from being swept away by the enemy. Now the Bible goes on and says that the dragon in verse 17, because of these things, becomes enraged at the woman and went to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those offspring, by the way, are Jew and Gentile alike who will call on the name of the Lord in the last days. But we as well are His offspring. And look at what he says. He says two things about the quality of these men and women who are belonging to God. These are the marks of a true son or daughter of God. Listen carefully. They obey God's commandments and they hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was talking with someone last night who was in desperate straits, deeply conflicted, about what he needs to do in his life and having things that he wants to do that he knows are wrong. And I finally asked him, I said, do you love Jesus? And he says, I die for Jesus. 
And I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, do you love Jesus? And he says, you know I love Jesus. And I said, if you love Jesus, this is the litmus test from Jesus' own mouth what love is for him. If you obey my commands. If you obey God's commands, then you are truly a child of God. But the Bible also says in 1 John that if we fail to obey His commands and we live however we want to, the Bible says that we have lied to ourselves and have been lied to and the truth is not in us. If you are truly a believer, your life will be marked by obedience to the commands of God. Not to the tit-tat, you know, every single little one in the sense of, you know, keeping all these rules, but the, the major focus of loving God and loving others and growing daily in that direction. If your life is marked by that, then you are truly changed and converted by God. That's God's design for you. That's God's purpose for you. Will you join me? I want to live that way. I want our church to be a light on this island. And it will only happen if not only Satan can see it and God can see it, but the world around can see that look at their love for God and for one another. That's what God is calling you to as a believer, is a love relationship with Him. And the mark of that love, from His standpoint, is obedience to His call and His commands and His will. And finally we're told that they hold of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I've already shared what this testimony is. Even as Paul said, you don't have to do it eloquently and it doesn't have to come with superior wisdom. All it has to come with is simplicity. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you can get those words out of your mouth in your own way, you're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That is the Gospel. And God has called you and He's called me to be a proclaimer of that truth. There is a heavenly warfare taking place and we can't see it. And I've thought about that and I've, I've, I've mused myself thinking about why God hasn't allowed us to see it. Why God hasn't allowed us to see what's happening all around us at our work, in our home, where, where Satan and the angels are battling over things that are eternal and life and death. But the fact is, it's taking place. And your life is at stake, and you're the one they're fighting over. And I want to encourage you that God's purpose for you is to be an overcomer in Jesus Christ in this warfare. He doesn't want you to just survive it. He wants you to be more than conquerors and victorious. And you can be if you will be a man or a woman who relies only on the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of His body from the dead. His forgiveness that comes through His blood. And if you're willing to stay with the testimony of Jesus Christ and walk in obedience to Him, God will make you an overcomer in this life. And you will be used for the eternal purposes of God and you will be storing up for yourself something that has lasting value. Can you tell I want this for you? <laughs> I want this for you. I want it for myself and it's God's plan for all of us. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss the eternal plan of God for our lives. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you've made us more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. God, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to overcome, everything that we need to, to overcome the accusations of the enemy. And you've given us life. You've given us restored relationship with you. You have made it possible through your shed blood on the cross. 
And God, all you ask us to do is to, to not love our lives, but to love you. And to be obedient to your commands. And to be honest with ourselves. Certainly Satan's accusations are true. But we can come every single time and say, that's true. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been washed clean. And I'm his son. And I'm his daughter. Father, we ask that none would be lost. I pray for every man and woman here and their families and their extended families and their children and their parents that none would be lost. But we would be a light in darkness and we would not hold back any longer, Father, but we would be a mighty force even in this day as we prepare, God, for that great and glorious day when you will appear for us and we will be with you forever. And Satan will be vanquished for all eternity into the lake of fire. But God, we have a battle on our hands right now. But God, you are our great conqueror and king. And all you ask us to do is to get in line behind you. And you will more than overwhelmingly bring victory to your people. We love you. And we're thankful to you. And we praise your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. 